0: Let me pray. Loving God, we do but glimpse that glory, but what you have revealed encourages, renews, energizes us. May we need to follow in our own way, not just personally, but as a church where you call us to follow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, throughout the season of Lent, where allowing the Gospel readings just to speak for themselves. And our focus has been on the first reading, which today was from the uh, second chapter of Revelation as part of our series on Revelation, which I've uh, given the title, Revelation Then and Now, Now and Then. And it's very intentionally bringing the world of the first century in which Revelation had its roots and the first hearers of that message into conversation, into our world, and realising that though it is different in many ways, it was the ancient world, it was the Roman Empire and emperors and all that stuff, it has a lot of similarities to our world today. In particular, it was a world in which tyrants were getting stronger and stronger, where armies were getting bigger and more efficient in their military dictatorship, in their oppression It was the world in which claims of loyalty were spreading so that not just cities and members of cities were required to show their adoration, their loyalty to the emperor, but increasingly things like guilds. If you're a member of an association, members of the accountants' association or members of other associations would start their meeting with oaths of of dedication, of loyalty to the emperor, And it's getting harder and harder for Christians to make that call as to how far do we cross our fingers behind those moments and stay part of these things because our livelihood, our business depends on it. So it's a world in which that cultural pressure is mounting on Christians and having to make that call, well, how far can we go with this culture and where do we need to draw lines and pull back and say, no, that's a step too far. For me once we explore the world in those terms and especially when it comes to emperors becoming despots and power plays that just seem to sweep people aside and have little regard for human life it is sadly not hard to see how that resonates with our own world and ironically even the same part of the world the middle east coming across to turkey and the boundaries between Western Turkey and Europe is a flashpoint, just as much today. So the then and now, now and then, continues to speak to us in that space. One of the challenges we have as we explore that theme or these themes, and uh, let me just go back to the theme of um, the nature of revelation. It's a dramatic book to read it's a it's a book that we are to experience as a drama that floats around us not something that we can dissect like a text that would have been heard originally and didn't come with remote controls where you can pause and replay a scene you'd have to allow it to, to swing over you in that drama the notion of revelation just a key for how we read the book is things are a mystery they cannot be seen unless God chooses to reveal them. And the book of Revelation is where God pulls back the curtains and reveals truths that are otherwise invisible, are uh, starkly, vividly pre- presented to us. And when it comes to um, the seven churches, we begin to see a vivid picture of Christ's presence in those churches so that theme of revelation is a theme of that which is otherwise invisible but through the spirit through the eyes of faith is vividly present and that changes how we discern what is going on in the world around us in the season of lent and as we head towards our annual vestry meeting we are in a stage of sitting and waiting on god of praying for god's leading upon us And as we have uh, the readings from Matthew where Jesus is inviting people to follow him on the journey, and he says it's not going to be easy. There is risk involved. There's cost involved. You need to invest yourself and let go of things. But if you're hoping to hold on to the world, then you've lost it. But if you're willing to let go and to follow me on this journey, then you will receive life, true life. And that invitation is what we have before us in the season of Lent as a church. We know we're at a stage where perhaps a crossroads, but certainly opportunities are there that will not remain there always. And as a church, we seek to discern that. We're not rushing it, but nor are we standing still. What is it to be a missional church? What does it mean to be a church that's on mission? The mission is God's. We don't choose the mission we receive the mission and we recognize that it's not for us to decide what we're going to be about God expects it of us and when we were baptized whether as infants or whether as adults we said yes to that invitation we said yes my loyalty is now trusting you I follow Christ what does it mean to follow Christ This is the simple question that we have before us. Some of you have seen it before, but let me just remind you because it speaks into the challenges of the seven churches. To participate faithfully in the mission of God is to be a people and place of gathering. Gathering is at the heart of creation. God expects community to gather. The great commandment expects us to be good neighbours That isn't just incidental, it's actually at the heart of what God expects. To be a people and place of gathering is more than just ensuring that individuals are saved. It's actually that individuals enter into God's intention for this world, this journey. It is to be community building. It is to be culture making the way in which we build community needs to stand in a this is a much better way to go this is a much better way to live and to exist in community in contrast to anything else that's offered in the wider society and thirdly and essentially it needs to be making disciples we can only be community building we can only be culture making when we are making disciples and making disciples isn't just other people coming to faith it certainly includes that but who here would claim well i've made the decision i follow christ i'm now fully cooked as a disciple anyone game my hands are down the process of becoming a disciple was a lifelong process we continue to build on that making disciples doesn't stop when we come to faith That work of God in action in our life continues as we navigate the challenges and the realities and we do so in each other's company. This is what God expects and calls of us. And this is what God expected of the seven churches in Asia and of all churches ever ever more afterwards. So it wasn't just them. What Christ says to those seven churches he actually says to all churches, we need to see ourselves in that space." Apocalyptic was quite vivid, as I said, and the image that we had at the end of last week is that Christ, this bright, ascended, not just victorious Christ, but the all-power and authority that is in his hands, the, the beginning and the end and everything in between is in his hands, is now vividly revealed. It's not seen for those who don't see for the eyes of disbelief, but for those who have eyes of faith and the spirit, we see Christ walking amongst the seven lampstands, the seven candlesticks. Stay with that for a moment. Christ walks around these seven churches. He visits the churches. And having visited the churches, he writes a report. Now, that language was actually fairly familiar because the emperor would send his, his agents to around various cities and receive reports and would send uh, edicts back to say, you're getting this right, but you've got to stop that. You're not paying enough to me or you're not paying enough homage to me. So they knew what, what it was to receive an edict from the all-powerful authority. What would it be if... Christ was walking around the churches of the eastern suburbs of Adelaide. What would it be if Christ visited us and we didn't realise it? And afterwards he said, I was there. This is my report card. And not just a private report card. This is a public report card. That's how vivid this challenge is. So Christ sends his report card publicly to these seven churches who all knew each other and they're probably going through the countdown saying oh yeah fair enough to start with ephesus and smyrna yeah it's up the road they're pretty big hang on if they follow that route then we're going to we're going to come up on that list sooner or later you can imagine the first time at the church at philadelphia you know, they were next on the list it's that sort of tension that we want to recognize ourselves so the first up is ephesus and I know a number of people here have actually been able to visit Ephesus. I've been able to visit Ephesus as well. It's one of the great archaeological sites. It's a sprawling site. There's no modern city that overshadows it. Um, and you can literally walk the same streets. Our harbour Street is when there was a harbour. It's actually quite a, a sad uh, name for the city because if you stand there and you think, hang on, the coast is seven kilometres away. Um, and uh, Harbour Street was at the end of a a river, an estuary, that was in the process of silting up already at this time. So the harbour was less and less productive. It wasn't easy for boats to come up. And before long, that totally silted up. So where it is today, the coast is now a long distance away. There is no harbour now in Ephesus. And that was basically the end of the city. Once it it, uh, silted up, its uh, trade and its economy was hit. But it was a it was a the largest city, probably about a quarter of a million population at that time, and uh, within it was uh, both the the Roman Forum you see on the left hand side of the screen and the gymnasium, which was a whole mix of Greek and Roman culture that was regarded as the best. You know, it, it was equivalent of the Australian Institute of Sport. The, all the elite gymnasts would come and exercise and show off their skills, and then there was also one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. The Romans renamed her Diana. It had a a theatre which seats some 24,000 people in a natural arena, one of the bigger ones around. Arenas were very common. There's actually a few other arenas in uh, Ephesus, but I could hear the voices of those talking quietly on the stage at the top in taking those photos. And a number of Christian believers were reading out the text from uh, Acts chapter 19 where Paul was brought before the, the crowded theatre who were all howling for his blood. And he was actually um, under enormous pressure there in Ephesus. So we have the temple of Artemis. Enormous temple. It's hard to, to conceive of the scale. But notice in particular the garden that surrounded it. There were a number of other temples of Artemis, but this was the biggest, and the one had a unique claim that this goddess Artemis um, was, uh, had her origins. She was born in this space, and they were especially trusted with creating a sanctuary around the temple. We'll come back to that, the significance of that in a minute. And uh, if you want to know something of the the beauty of the artistry, if you want to know the bits and pieces of this temple, don't go to Ephesus. Go to London, to the British Museum. They managed to grab all the best pieces. It's on display there. Um, Still a bit of a contention, put it mildly, between the uh, original people. But you see that it's an ornate and a massive building and uh, towering in size. Ephesus is where the church took root, and one of the one of the first churches that really thrived and made a real big impact was in ephesus so by the time of revelation, this church had now been around for about forty years, and uh, it was a vibrant church, and the message of the gospel had reached out and As you look down um, that 's uh, curate street um, and uh, that 's how it looks today though it 's usually packed with people uh, that 's how it would have looked in Paul's day and in John's day and in the days of the early church that was established it was a wealthy area a lot of uh, terrace houses um, that were very affluent and in that city the gospel took root, and a church was established the pattern around these seven churches and I'm just going to touch on it very briefly and we'll see this in coming weeks as we begin to read our way through chapters two and three we're not going to do one at a time I'll group them together a little bit but Today, just with Ephesus, it starts with a very specific form uh, to the church. The angel of the church, from whom this is who is speaking, uh, he commends these churches for various things. He rebukes them for various other things. Not all the churches; one or two get away with not being rebuked. There's an exhortation and a word of encouragement to respond to. To hear this, there is a promise. And then there is a warning. So each of the seven churches follows those patterns. And we're just going to explore because each of them reflects something distinctive about those churches. They're not just generic churches. So following that pattern, and I'm just going to go through this reasonably quickly because I'm conscious of time this morning. But the word angel can, it literally means messenger. Whether it's a spiritual realm messenger or whether it's uh, the were angel's For the Roman Empire, they were messengers. They were agents who would go and visit and report back what they'd seen. So it's the essence that this is the messenger conveying a message from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. In in one way, it's saying, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) They're just the messenger. But even more importantly... The authority, the credibility of the message isn't just some passing messenger. It's actually the living Christ who says, I'm walking amongst you. I'm in your midst and I know everything about you. Ouch. It's encouraging, but I know everything about you. And as I said, walks among the seven golden stands. I know your deeds. So what does he then say? I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Let's say now the probably about 40 years of the life of the church that was initially established in Paul's time. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. What we get behind it, we don't know the details, and when it gets to Nicolaitan's, if anyone knows who the Nicolations are and what they taught, there's an excellent doctorate awaiting for you and probably a very well-sold book because no one else has worked it out as to who these Nicolations are. That gets a bit later. The word uh, Nikos is the word for Nike. Maybe it means all those who actually wear Nike clothing <laughs> or shoes. Your Nike- Nicolations? It's the same word. Um, no one's actually quite sure. What we do get a sense is that this church in Ephesus was pretty good at testing people's belief systems and what they are teaching. They were very keen for good teaching and they commended for it. You have a commitment to recognise and to name false teaching and to not, not listen to it. You recognise those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them to be false. That is good. You have persevered. I'll just come back to, I think I've got the, um, sorry, I'm lot of order my slides. You have persevered and endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. Christ is saying, I know it's hard work and I commend you for hanging in there and for carrying the load, not growing weary in that process. As I said before, one of the other things that a little bit later in the passage, you, you've had this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So you are recognising that which is good and you are saying, no, that is wrong. And it's commended. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, it's interesting that they're commended for standing for truth and calling out false teaching. But the word for love is agape. It's the word that becomes associated with Christian love. It's not just you're not loving the world around you. You're actually abandoning love within your your church family. It's actually talking about how they relate to each other. You're not being characterised. It's good that you stand up for calling out right and wrong and false teaching and you say that these are important truths, but if that's not coming from a place of love, you know that it ends up being a place of conflict. That is a word for the church today. We need to hold together a desire to uphold truth with a commitment to love one another in our messiness and in grace and express that grace in a way which is not just lip service but genuine grace i'll come back to it towards the end how how consider how far you have fallen repent change direction recognize that you cannot continue doing this and do the things you did at first there's an activity involved in that don't just sit back and be recipients certainly for the the church in the western world that slipped into enormous sense that church is there for us to keep us entertained to keep us you know will we come back that was a good service because I felt energized and excited and it was a good performance or anything else if church is slipping into that space you've lost the whole notion of church it's doing you know you can't learn how to swim standing on the side of the swimming pool I remember my very first class I had a bulky Maori lifesaver teach me how to swim on the side you do the strokes like that we're all doing the strokes like that yep I've worked out how to swim now do it in the water oh you cannot be a follower of Christ and not be in the water <laughs> do it Jesus is saying do the things you do at work because that is part of our mission we are to be engaged in the mission of God the doing is the gathering of community, building community. It is culture making. It is living as God calls us to live as disciples. That is the doing. And then the warning. If you do not repent, if you just tune out and have selective hearing and saying, Yeah, you're talking about someone else. You're not talking about me. You're not talking about us as a church. You must be talking about the church down the road. Yeah, yeah I agree with them. That's fair enough. Not us. Saying, No, I'm talking about you. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And then it comes to the exhortation. He said, are you listening? Are you really listening? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. If I have one... Passionate appeal to make to St. Matthew's in this season it is that we hear what the Spirit is saying to us as a church let us all seek to hear and that will draw us together and then we get to the good bit, the promises we can't leap to this we have to do that hard work of listening and hearing and stopping doing certain things and renewing and reminding ourselves that if you're doing anything without the love, then that's, that's a failure. To the one who is victorious. Interesting, it's the same word as Nikos. And, uh, that's why Nike is about victory. It's the same word. I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let me just highlight what that is behind that, because the language picks up what was renowned about Ephesus. A number of the coins of Ephesus features a tree. It's a tree placed in the paradise, in the sanctuary, the garden area of Artemis. People would flee in that space to find sanctuary. And this was their big boast. Come to Artemis and she will give you life and prosperity and fruitfulness. The message is saying no. That's not where you find life. You only find life from the one who truly can give it, who is victorious, who has done more for this world than Artemis or any other pretender might do. So where do we go with this? These are just my reflections. As I was sitting with it, just to sit with that challenge. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Initially, I thought it's just that, you know, growing cold, not as strong, not as vibrant. But the word stronger, you've actually chosen not to show love. You've chosen not to live in grace to others, whether it's a harshness, whether it's whatever it may be. I think that sits with us. The word, by the way, is in the singular, not because it's a single person, because it's a single church. It's in the singular because as a single church community, Christ is saying this is true of the whole church, as one entity, not just the individuals within it. Let us renew our commitment to show our love, our grace to each other. And then the exhortation turn back to me there are directions that we're going there may be things that we are holding on to that are taking us in other directions turn back to me and do the works you did at first perhaps a paraphrase St Matthew's you've been here for 175 years over those years you've done remarkable things I commend St. Matthew's for your perseverance and for the hard work over the years. But don't stop loving each other. Don't stop being about the works that you did at first. Amen. Amen.